Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. As much as I love for you, for you may fade, my dog will always come through. Hello and welcome to the Urban Zoo, brought to you each week by VCA Canada, caring for life's greatest companions. I'm your co-host Bill McBain with Dr. Tiffany Rennick, Medical Director of VCA Credit Valley Animal Hospital in Streetsville, Mississauga. Our guest today here to talk about the breadth of veterinary specialists available to care for our pets and animals is veterinary neurologist Dr. Andrea Finnan. In our Breed of the Week segment, Dachshunds, energetic, courageous, and opinionated. It is a full show this week on the Urban Zoo, so let's get to it. I'm Bill McBain with Dr. Tiffany Rennick, and we'll be right back after a short break with veterinary neurologist Dr. Andrea Finnan here on the Urban Zoo on News Talk Saga, 9.60 a.m. Your region, your voice. Back soon. And that he knows he'll get, so I love my dog as much as I love you. But you make a thing. My dog will always come through. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. I love my dog as much as I love for you. For you, make fade. My dog will always come through. Welcome back to the Urban Zoo. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Tiffany Rennick, and myself, Bill McBain. And today we are talking to Dr. Andrea Finnan, veterinary neurologist, here to talk to us about medical specialties in veterinary medicine. Now, as a owner, I have certainly... Well, I remember my first trips into the larger veterinary clinics, the uh, Mississauga Oakville emergency clinic and another one down in Toronto and being shocked by the size and breadth of this place. In many ways, it was like a human hospital. You would hear paging for neurology, for hematology, radiology, and other ophthalmology, other such things. It was quite an eye-opener. A lot of people didn't know, and I guess, or don't know, and I didn't know, that those specialties exist and are easily available. Well, easily might be a strong word, available to pets who are in distress and need specialized care. And that is an awfully good thing. I know my wonderful Dodger always received good care in a timely fashion when he needed it at these clinics. So Dr. Andrea Finnan, welcome to the Urban Zoo. It's good to have you with us. Thank you very much for inviting me to to talk here today. And I think we've talked a little bit in the past, Bill, how the evolution of veterinary medicine over the last 
20, 30 years has really opened up a lot of these opportunities for veterinary specialties to grow and thrive as people are viewing their pets more as family members rather than just a property and they're wanting them to live healthier, happier lives. We're starting to see people more interested in pursuing specialties as different situations are coming up. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that, that has grown at the same time has been the availability of ongoing pet health insurance, which has made the sort of specialized care more accessible to, to people and their pets. And it, it, it's, a, it's a growing reality in veterinary medicine. And, and yeah, we see our pets more and more, even that much more during the time of COVID as family members, not just pets or, or animals uh, that uh, we, we keep to entertain us, but full members of the family that are important to us and that we love every bit as much as any other member of the family. So well put. Dr. Finney. Yes, you, you guys touch on, on a, a big reason as to why we as veterinary specialists exist. And that's because the value placed on a, on a companion animal, a pet, is, is greater and greater as time goes by. And, and as you said, Dr. Rennick, pets are seen as family members and pet owners or caretakers, as we sometimes uh, refer to them as, demand and expect the highest level of care and medicine that they would for themselves. And by the fact that we do have veterinary specialists available, that is available for dogs and cats, even horses and other large animals, that we can provide this care and advancement in their care and work with their family veterinarians to to give the best care possible by offering these advanced care and procedures that family veterinarians just do not have access to. And I think the access is is one of those things where it's a combination of the ability of a general practitioner. So we would be like my clinic, we're a GP, we would be like your family doctor. And it's extremely difficult to be a specialist in cardiology, ophthalmology, neurology, dentistry, surgery, internal medicine, radiology. You're trying to do all of these things. Even in the 15 years that we've been practicing, Dr. Finnan, I think I've seen a big evolution in that expectation of what people want for their pets. And then it's also trying to make the technology and the equipment that's needed. I mean, every GP practice is not going to be able to have a CT scanner and all of this expensive equipment. And so it's kind of centralizing those specialty services into a place where we can actually have that equipment. We can provide both the expertise as well as the equipment that's needed to do that. You're right. And that's one of the big benefits that I love about working in a specialty hospital. And as Bill touched upon, you know, when he went to the hospital, he heard all this paging for different services. Many of us work together in a large hospital versus having one hospital for neurology and one hospital for surgery. We have multidisciplinary specialty hospitals, so we can all work together because not medicine isn't always clear cut and, and black and white. And sometimes pets have multiple medical problems that require or would benefit from multiple specialties. And so we can all work together and provide the best care for a pet without having to make them drive all over the countryside to see different specialists. And that's definitely something we've seen. There's been times where we've sent someone to neurology to see Dr. Finnan 
either they need surgery for whatever the issue is, and they also have a heart murmur. And so in order to safely anesthetize that animal, then Dr. Finnan's going to have the cardiology team get involved and evaluate that dog's heart and make sure that that is going to be safe to put this dog under anesthesia. And then the anesthesia team is there. So we have another level of safety and expertise in actually anesthetizing patients who have greater risk going under anesthesia. So we have seen that numerous times when we have sent animals over to predominantly Mississauga Oakville, but there are a number of other hospitals in the area that are very similar. That sort of uh, that cross-pollinating, that, that multidisciplinary environment seems to me like a very healthy arrangement. I think one of the things that we worry about in human medicine is it's becoming more and more compartmentalized. If someone has a gastrological problem or a neurological problem, they may be related in some way or they may be showing opposite symptoms, but doctors go off and look for their specialty at the exclusion of, of anything else. And with that sort of multidisciplinary approach, you're sort of covering the field in a, in a very comprehensive way, I'm guessing. Absolutely. And the other difficulty in veterinary medicine is that we, the, the caretaker has to be the voice for their pet. We can't say, they come in to see me and they're having trouble walking, common presenting complaint, and they look uncomfortable. Well, the, the caretaker says, well, I think it's his back, but if we could just ask the dog, where does it hurt? He could point and say, it's actually my knee that hurts. Mm. And so what will frequently happen is that a pet will come in with a certain complaint, you know, difficulty walking. Once I've examined the pet, I say, well, actually, thankfully, this is not a neurologic problem. It's actually a problem with your dog's knees or your dog's elbows. And you need to see a surgeon. Oh, conveniently, we can walk down the hallway and meet with the surgeon rather than having to leave and go to another hospital. It's, it's not as clear cut medicine. And, and often pets will come in with multiple problems that need mm -hmm. to be addressed together as a team to try to provide the best care. So you're absolutely right. It's, it's beneficial for the pet, but also the family that they can have all of this expertise and working together under one hospital. Mm -hmm. I know I've had some clients come back after being seen and they'll comment how they wish they could get access to care as quickly. I know that's something we've seen, you know, some of these pets are going in and within 48 to 72 hours of their first appointment, they've had a CT or an MRI, they've had an echocardiogram, they've had a surgical consult and surgeries booked for the next week. And, and you see people with similar issues. It can be months before things are being dealt with in some situations. Absolutely. And that's, that's where you, you pay for what you get in that if we all left our doctor's office with a bill that said, this is how much your consult was, and this is how much your x-rays were, and this is how much your blood tests were. I think we in general would have a better idea of what the cost of, of healthcare is in veterinary medicine, unless you are insured for your pet. And even then, if you're insured, you still have to usually pay the bill and then you're reimbursed later. But if you pay for medical care, it will happen right away. And you're absolutely right. Dr. Rannick, I've uh, had a couple, well, not a couple, several clients say to me, well, I wish I could show up at my neurologist appointment, have an MRI, a spinal tap and surgery all in the same day, but you have to wait six months for your neurologist appointment and then another six months for your MRI. And then, oh, now we need a spinal tap. We have to come back another day. It takes a lot longer in the subsidized healthcare system. However, environments with private medicine only, that sort of care is available only to those people who can afford to pay for it. Absolutely. And large numbers of people are, don't get the care they need at all 
you know, mm-hmm. that, that ends in a, in a very negative place. So public health care systems, and, and as I've said on this show before, we're still looking for the, the dog or cat, Tommy Douglas, to come along so that we can uh, have some socialized medicine for everyone in this country. But the impact on the, on the overall health and well-being of societies with public health care is much greater than it is in, in societies with strictly private medicine. For sure. Um, absolutely. Yeah. It's just the, the way that the veterinary healthcare yes. system is, is made is that you, you pay for the services <laughs> that your animal gets. And, and I do find that some families are shocked by the cost of care. If you have to pay for an MRI, it's not an inexpensive test uh, versus some of my um, veterinary friends and colleagues in the U.S. They tend not to have clients as shocked with the cost of healthcare just because their system is geared differently and that often you have to pay and then your insurance reimburses you very similar to how it's done in veterinary medicine. So it just, it, it does open your eyes as to what the cost of healthcare is and makes us very grateful that, that our human healthcare is provided for us in this country. Very well put. And I think we've talked in another context about how people treat their veterinary staff and their front desk staff in particular in this country when they receive bills and it's, it's just outside their experience. They don't necessarily react to it in, in a way that reflects the true nature of medicine and what it costs. I've certainly benefited hugely right from puppyhood purchasing a health insurance plan that, that made it possible for us to get him the care that he needed through his life. I agree with you that if there was some way in all systems that we could make people aware of what the actual cost of these things were, I think we'd be, we'd be ahead of the game all around. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you're, you were very smart to, to get insurance for your pup because it just makes making difficult decisions a little bit easier because you know that at this point, if you're, his name's Dodger, yes. if, he need, if he needs advanced diagnostics or advanced care because he has developed a medical problem, and you would like to continue to pursue this, then you have the means to do this, or you have backup for you. Absolutely. Uh, but but the specialty specialty veterinary medicine is is a complement to your your primary care veterinarian, but it's it's generally used for when a pet develops a problem that that requires this advanced care diagnostics. And I'm finding more and more. I don't know if you feel the same way, Doctor Rennick, that we are doing we as veterinarians are doing a much better job at preventative health medicine now. And I'm seeing pets come in to see me at 15, 16, 17 years of age. When I used to, when I first graduated from high school, an old dog was a 10 to 12 year old dog. Uh, now an old dog is a 15 to 17 year old dog. And, and we saw a cat the other day and I chuckled because my attendant that was helping me restrain, she was younger than the cat. <laughs> so we're seeing, you know, cats live into their twenties and, and this is wonderful. But then when you live longer, you inherently develop more medical problems that sure. when families want to be able to help their pet to live the best life they can, and even maybe have a longer quality of life that we can offer that to them. I definitely am seeing the same thing. I mean, we're seeing a lot more pets making it into later years. And then yes, with that comes a longer stretch of time often where you're managing numerous medical issues. And some are more straightforward and they can be managed at a GP level. And then there's others that are more complex. And that's where we're very grateful, especially on our end, that we can offer those services and we can direct people to places where we can take care of those things. We can offer that higher level of care. If we could 
kind of sum up, I know we've talked a little bit more about some of the differences, but if you could just talk a little bit more, uh, Dr. Finn, about, you know, what are those big differences between the specialties versus that GP world? And then how do you, you or me as a veterinarian, how do we go about becoming a specialist? Where do, what is that process even like for you? So all veterinary specialists started out as veterinarians. A general practice veterinarian will, in general, from veterinary school, go into practice and start seeing cases and developing gills and seeing a caseload that allows them to, to become experts in a lot of things. But general practice vets will, will be seeing first puppies for health exams, vaccines, spaying, neutering, deworming, preventative medicine, uh, but also seeing patients that are sick. And if they need specialized or further care that would be benefit from a specialist who has advanced training in a certain discipline, that's when they would refer. So a specialist is a veterinarian that then does at least four years of advanced or additional training in advanced disciplines. The American Veterinary Medical Association does recognize 41 specialties. It, there's, there's quite a few, but the, the big ones that most people think about are medicine, cardiology, neurology, oncology, which is the treatment of cancer, surgery, ophthalmology, looking at eyes, dermatology, looking at skin, dentistry, radiology, behavior, anesthesia, critical care, ICU, nutrition. There's, I have such a list in front of me, zoology. So we, uh, there's a specialty looking, uh, taking care of, of exotic animals, like at zoos. There's many, and there's so many more. And each of these specialists will be the expert in that topic. So I am an expert in neurology. I can tell you everything about the brain and the spinal cord, and I can do spinal taps and tell you, and I can interpret MRIs almost in my sleep. But you put a, a cat in front of me that has diabetes and you say, well, how do I treat this? And I'm just going to say, I don't know, look in a book because I have been so far removed from general practice and looking at skin problems and diabetes and doing spays and neuters that now I've lost those skills, but I am, I know everything about neurology and that's the benefit of coming to see me. Whereas a general practice veterinarian might see a pet that comes in with seizures and feel comfortable enough to start treatment or start monitoring. But if the patient then becomes, have, starts having more and more seizures or starts to develop behavior changes, something's not following the rules. That's when that veterinarian would say, you know what, I think you need the expertise of someone who knows neurology in and out and backwards. And then they would come and see me. So to answer your question about how to become a specialist, my journey started with an internship, which most specialists will have to do. So after you finish bachelor's degree in university, you then have to do a four-year doctor of veterinary medicine program. Then you will go into an internship, which is generally one year. If you've ever watched Grey's Anatomy, you know, it's kind of one of those really tough years where you pretty much live at the hospital and you have zero quality of life and you work and work and work and work because you need to see as many cases as possible and learn as much as you can. Then after that, you will go into your residency. It's all very similar to human medicine, mm -hmm. which is generally three years. And you will, again, have a very high caseload of very complicated cases. And you are going to be seeing just those cases that are related to your specialty to give you as much experience as you can in those three years. Then you become a specialist by 
finishing your program, but also the, the training, the caseload requirements and rigorous exams at the end for which you have to pass. And then you have that certification. Just for the record, I never watch Grey's Anatomy. So oh. <laughs> the resident, New Amsterdam, different story, love okay. house, yeah, anyway. uh, <laughs> code black, too much soap opera in, in the in Grey's Anatomy for me. It is, it is. It's, uh, it, <clears throat> it, there's a, a lot of drama and a little bit of medicine. Yeah, but I think so, most of those medical shows give a pretty good idea of what the life of an intern and a resident is. And I don't think veterinary medicine is any different from my conversations with you and other classmates that have done their residencies. It's pretty tough. Shouldn't all of you work with sleep specialists, somnambulists, or when uh, going through all of that? That's such a, a tough schedule. By the way, Dr. Somnambula was a, was, a, was a villain on the old Batman series. Not that you need to know that, but... Uh, <laughs> well, usually we don't have trouble sleeping because we're so tired at the end of the day that we just yeah, kind of crash. And it's kind of crash, in your, yeah. your time that you're not seeing cases and working, you need to be reading and, and following up on continuing education and papers and reading textbooks. It's, it's not an easy road. But the goal is to be able to do your passion all day, every day. I'm, I'm not one that wants to vaccinate dogs, do dentistries, do surgeries. It's just not for me. Mm-hmm. I want to be doing MRIs every day. And that's my passion. And I, I worked hard and I'm doing it. And I'm happy I'm doing it. But it did take 11 years post high school to get there. And that's so a long time. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of schooling, but it allowed mm-hmm. me to do what I, what I love to do. Well, that, that sort of story, if I may, instills confidence in, in consumers of, of medicine, those who bring their pets into a hospital like yours, to have a clear sense that wherever they go, that the specialists are well-trained and know their business. So, And that's the, well, thank yeah. you very much. And that's, that's why we work so hard to achieve certification, accreditation, to be able to say that I'm a specialist. I if I come out as a veterinarian and say, well, I'm, I like neurology, so I'm going to call myself a neurologist. It's very different than somebody who has gone through at least four more years of advanced training and examination to be able to call themselves a neurologist or a cardiologist or ophthalmologist. They're, uh, it's not to discredit general practice vets at all, because mm-hmm. general practice vets are good at a lot of things. Uh, you have to know a lot about everything, but you can't in that time, become a specialist in one certain thing, doing all of the things and seeing all of the pets that you see. And so you are the first line to be able to determine if a pet needs specialized care and who they are going to see. And that takes a lot of skill in itself. Mm-hmm. You are listening to veterinary neurologist, Dr. Andrea Finnan here on the Urban Zoo. I'm your co-host, Bill McBain with Dr. Tiffany Rennick. We will be back shortly to continue our conversation. And that he knows he'll get So I love my dog As much as I love you But you make a thing My dog will always come through No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960am.ca Welcome back to the Urban Zoo as we continue our discussion about veterinary specialization with veterinary neurologist, Dr. Andrea Finnan. 
And it's a very cooperative process. It takes years of building those relationships. You know, I know so many of the vets at Miss Saga Oakville now, just from years of working with them, years of calling. I can definitely say that I can see that passion for what you guys do and that you guys really do love what you do and why you got into what your specialty is. You know, I know one of the criticalists, I think every clinic I have worked at in the 15 years that I have been working, or at least most of it, she's a phone call away. If I get a case that it it can't make it to the eMERGE hospital alive and we have to do something to get it stable and get it there. I have called her so many times and she has walked me through cases that are way over my head just to get it to the point where I can get it to them safely or other things. I really appreciate just how much you guys love what you do because as we work together, that's when we offer that amazing care to these pets. You're right. We have a relationship with the general, the primary care veterinarian, the pet caretaker, and then us, because it starts with you as, as the primary health vet to be able to say whether or not they need to come and see us. And then we get into the picture and we all work together, but it's all towards the best healthcare and best outcome for that pet. And, and that's what we always want. And I, I love hearing stories like that because, you know, that veterinarian could just say, you know what, I can't help you until you send it to me because I need it in the building and, and, and I want to have it in my hospital before I'll, I'll tell you what to do, but it's all for, for the betterment of, of our pets and our companions. And well, that's what we're here for. If, if pet all... owners didn't want. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved. We are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To have their, this dog, they just want a dog. Well, then we wouldn't have a job to do. But the, the love and the commitment from the, from the caretaker to their pet, the, the, the owner and their pet, the, the, their family member, we're here to help them take that pet home at the end of the day. One of the great talents of a primary care physician is volume of business and variety. The more patients you see, the more over time, the more adept you are at making diagnosis based on available information. And that's, I would imagine, is a vital skill in terms of directing people or, and pets in the right, in, to the, down the right stream for further care. Absolutely. And that's uh, what I'd mentioned earlier is primary care veterinarians have to know a lot, uh, know about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you, if you only know neurology like me at this point, you know, so many clients come in and say, Oh, my dog has this little lump on their back or, or, you know, what, what, you know, what vaccine should I give them next week? And I say, you know, what? as far you need to go back to your family, but they're going to know more about that than me. 
uh, because primary care veterans like general practice um, uh, family health, uh, doctors mm-hmm. are the first line. And yeah, you don't know what you're going to get that walks in the door. And you have to know a little bit about everything to be able to to do your job. And yes, the volume is there. They're going to see a lot of patients in a certain day. And it could be as easy as a, a, a new puppy exam all the way to a dog that got hit by a car outside the the building and you have to triage it and stabilize it to get it back into the car to go for advanced care at the emergency hospital. Mm-hmm. The beauty of being in general practice is you never know what you're going to get yeah. and days can, like, I don't know, there's very rare that you have two days that are the same. And I know it's, it's similar for you guys as well with a little bit more streamlining, but I think that's part of what makes us all love our jobs. We're slightly adrenaline junkies and we all just take great pleasure in being challenged. The more, as much as sometimes we're like, that case is so hard. It's also the case that just makes you so excited. Mm-hmm. It's a detective in you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, absolutely. That's the excitement, the challenge of the problem. That, that's why House was built on Sherlock Holmes. Well, it's, it, you're absolutely right. You're, you have to be a bit of a detective. And, and because the, the pet can't speak for themselves, you have, mm-hmm. to have a, you have to be able to have good people skills as well to be able to communicate with the caretaker of the pet, to be able to get a good history and make a relationship that that they will trust you to be able to provide the care for your pet. But my job would be a lot easier if I could just say, where does it hurt? Or what sure. are you feeling when you're doing those weird things? But it, it makes it even more challenging to, to try to figure out what the root problem is when your patient doesn't have a voice. I imagine it would be like uh, similar to a, a pediatrician who has to work mm. with small babies Infants. that can't tell you mm-hmm. what's wrong. So why don't we talk a little bit more about neurology specifically? What are the kind of things that you see coming into you and what would people need to know a little bit about to be able to direct their pets or know if their pet is having an issue we need to be addressing? We'll start with the, the beginning <laughs> of, of what, what is neurology and and neurology encompasses the, the central nervous system, but also extensions into the peripheral nervous system. So neurology generally involves the brain and the spinal cord, but also the nerves and the muscles. It's surprising actually how many people don't know that dogs can get epilepsy and seizures. It's one of the most common things that I see this week. It just alone today's Wednesday. I've only been working for three days and the majority of the patients I've seen have come in with epilepsy. Epilepsy is, is one of the, the main things I see, but then also back and neck problems, trouble walking, paralysis, back and neck pain, also very, very common. Then there's the weird and wonderful things like, is that a seizure or not? When a, a, a dog chases its tail or when it snaps up in the air and looks like it's biting at, at flies we get some really weird and wonderful, we call transient episodes that can be debatable whether or not they're neurologic. But the majority of what I see are problems with the brain and problems with the spinal cord. The problem with brain and spinal cord is that they're really hard to look at. (laughs) So to look at them adequately, we have to uh, utilize advanced neuroimaging. And the gold standard for that is MRI. Again, a lot of people are surprised that we do MRIs on dogs and cats and turtles and snakes and bunnies. We can do that on on pretty much any animal. The majority, obviously, are are dogs and cats, but I saw a bunny today that I recommended an MRI, and they're going to consider that. MRIs 
are, are done in human medicine, but also in veterinary medicine. But the, the problem with veterinary medicine, and for anybody who's ever had an MRI, you know that you have to sit extremely still in a very small tube that's claustrophobic and extremely loud, and you cannot move a muscle for an hour. So trying to ask a bouncy golden retriever puppy to sit in the MRI and not move is impossible. So all of our patients need to be so heavily sedated, they're under anesthesia. And that's where a lot of the cost of the procedure comes from. But then also there's a little bit of risk to have an MRI because a patient needs an anesthetic. But general practitioners will not have access to an MRI in their clinic. You have x-rays and maybe ultrasound. So MRIs are restricted to large referral practices. Sometimes people will actually rent them. They will come in a trailer and you can put them in your parking lot, but it still requires a great uh, deal of power, safety, and expertise to be able to run one and interpret it. And thankfully we have an MRI, but also a CT scanner at our hospital. Our hospital has a lot of the same bells and whistles as a human hospital would. What would you be looking at if we look at something like epilepsy? So a dog comes in, they've been to their GP practitioner. We've said this dog is having seizures. Typically on our end, one of the first things that we're going to do is, is blood work in addition to our full physical exam to look and see if there's any visible, obvious abnormalities. And we've decided or the family has decided that they want to see a neurologist for epilepsy. What would happen next? What could people expect? Epilepsy can have a lot of different causes and seizures. More than one seizure is a diagnosis of epilepsy. So seizures can have a lot of different causes. Generally, what we start with is is a history and looking at what's the age of the dog and what's the breed of the dog and what's the history, taking very detailed notes of when seizures happen, dates, times, triggering factors, duration, videos, patterns, all of those things I'm going to, to take into consideration and analyze in relation to my neurologic exam and also the, the work that's been done by the primary care veterinarian to date. Some dogs come in that, have, that are certain breeds and they, they develop seizures at a young age and they most likely have a form of inherited epilepsy. And we know how to treat that and we don't necessarily need to do an MRI. But when older dogs come in with seizures or when cats that have seizures, then we sometimes will talk about doing some advanced imaging to go look at the brain to see, is there an underlying cause that is going to explain why a pet is having seizures and therefore change the treatment plan? Not every patient that comes to see me needs to have an MRI. And that's a common misconception from some clients is that they say, well, I don't want to go see the neurologist because I don't want to do an MRI. Coming to see a neurologist or any specialist doesn't commit you to having to do all of the diagnostics. Seeing a specialist is coming for a consultation and the specialist will take all the information in the history, what's been done by the primary care veterinarian, and then their exam to be able to formulate their opinion and their their expert recommendations as to whether or not anything more needs to be done. Coming to see a specialist doesn't always mean that you're going to leave with a very large bill. It means that you're going to have an expert opinion. And then with that information, you can make an informed decision between you and your primary care vet and your family, whether or not you would wish to pursue any more diagnostics, any more treatment, or if anything is even indicated. Some of my favorite appointments are when people come in and say, well, my dog was not able to walk two weeks ago and we made the appointment. And now today 
he's hundred percent back to normal, but I just wanted to come and see you to make sure you didn't have any other, find anything else that makes you concerned. You know, having the consultation is the first step and then pursuing a further diagnostics and treatments is then done based upon the information at that exam. I think that's a really good point because it is something that I encounter too with clients is, you know, that fear of, well, I don't know if I want an MRI or, you know, if they're going to oncology, well, I don't know if I would actually do chemo. And that's a big part of what I do talk to people about is that you're doing that consultation initially and you're not committing to the entire thing because we don't have a full answer yet, but we need to go and we get that expert opinion. We get that extra advice. And then from there, you have all the information that you need to make the best decision that you can. Absolutely. Any final thoughts that you would want to share about veterinary specialists? Well, I just hope that maybe some people were listening that didn't even know that specialists exist and that it just brings some awareness to the pet community that if you need or would like advanced care for your pet, it's available to you. Specialists in general love what they do and they are the best at their discipline and their job. And it's relatively, as Bill explained earlier, relatively easy to get in to see a specialist. And so that's a conversation that you can have with your your primary care veterinarian if you would like to have additional advanced care for your pet or even another opinion. There's always that possibility available to you. It's great that people care so much about their pet that they seek advanced care. And that's what makes us still have or to have a job to do. And it, it, it just is advancing knowledge in the veterinary community. But also what a lot of people don't realize too, is that veterinary medicine contributes a lot to human medicine. And there's a lot of translational medicine that's done that dogs and cats and even in other farm animals can they have naturally occurring disease that also occurs in humans. And the information that we're learning in veterinary medicine is actually helping advance human medicine. And so we're all interconnected and it's, it's a good thing. It is. Thank you so much for being on the show again, Dr. Finnan. And we will be looking forward to future shows as well with Dr. Finnan. She has lots of wonderful expertise to share with us. And I like talking. Well, it, well it's a good thing because you do it very well. I have enjoyed this thoroughly. Dr. Rennick has. Thank you for being on the Urban Zoo to talk to us about veterinary specialization, the, the wide, broad world of veterinary specialization and about your specialization of neurology in particular. Here on the Urban Zoo on, on News Talk 960 AM, your region, your voice. I'm Bill McBain with Dr. Tiffany Rennick, and we will be back shortly. And that he knows he'll get, so I love my dog. As much as I love you, but you make a fame, my dog will always come through. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. Welcome back to the Urban Zoo. I'm Bill McBain here with Dr. Tiffany Rennick, and we are here to talk about the breed slash pet of the week. Love this part of the, the, the show every week. And this week it is the cute 
dachshund. So let's talk about the dachshund. The dachshund. So it also is known as the wiener dog. And I think it is a very uh, iconic type of dog. Everybody, Mm -hmm. I think, out there knows what a dachshund is. So the dachshunds originate in Germany. Who would have known? Yes, I know. Who would have known? (laughs) And they have been around in some variety or other for over 500 years. And... I found this actually very interesting. And while I have seen many dachshunds and and know quite a bit about them, I was actually surprised when I actually researched kind of the origins of the breed that these guys were actually used as fair. They were fairly aggressive hunters. Hunters. Hunters, exactly. Because, you know, you look at the dachshund today and I, I would never consider it a dog who could Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chase an animal and hunt. And I do see some of the, the fierceness that they talk about in some of the dachshunds that I see. Uh, they definitely are a fiery breed. But yeah, so they originate in Germany and were bred from a combination of a number of different German-based hound breeds in, and then mixing in Basset and Beagles. They were mixing, trying to get the avid hunter and that really intense tracking dog. So scent was a big thing. They track a lot. And they were designed to go into burrows and particularly for badgers and some of the other uh, burrowing animals. They wanted a breed that was long and feisty and pretty tough, but had short enough legs that they could actually get into the burrows and follow as opposed to some of the other hunting breeds that can chase them to the burrow and not actually get in there. Uh, yeah. Well, you see those little guys and you imagine them going into a hole with a badger, one of the toughest animals out there. Wow. I, but you I'm know what? Impressed. There was actually a point where Dachshunds were listed as one of the most aggressive dog breeds in the world in one study many years ago. So they were bred to be very feisty, very tough, aggressive dogs and like i said i have you see a little bit of that in Mm -hmm. the remaining bloodlines now and some of them can be very fiery but they are a very spirited intelligent breed they do need a lot of mental stimulation we've talked about this before with some of Mm -hmm. these highly intelligent breeds of dogs that they really do need a lot of engagement to keep them from getting bored and into trouble some of the other words that came out were willful and feisty. <laughs> so I think those are pretty characteristic of the Dachshunds that I've seen. They have a lot of personality and they have a very strong sense of what they want and what they don't want and what they like and what they dislike. And there's not a lot of negotiation room with a Dachshund. You know, they believe what they want to believe and that's what they're going with. Yeah. I've obviously never known as many as you have, but I have known a few and I like them a lot, but I think your description is pretty darn accurate. They, they have a point of view. They have a point of view. Absolutely. And they are not ashamed or shy in any way of sharing that point of view. 
They are a breed that can be very vocal. They they often are very wary of strangers. And so some of the the websites that I was reading, they were talking about how they aren't always a great family dog because some of, depending on the bloodlines, because that's very much the personalities come out in certain bloodlines. But there are some bloodlines that are not very tolerant of children, very tolerant of loud, boisterous homes where there's lots of activity. It is something just to make sure when you are looking at getting a dachshund and you're doing your research and you're meeting the breeders, making sure that you see what the parents are like, what the, the family that the breeder is raising these puppies in is like, so that you get a sense of what kind of exposure they're going to have prior to coming into your home and are they going to be able to adjust well if you are a family with children and and a lot of noise and activity going on yeah they are a complex breed that's that's well put i've seen them in a house with kids and they did very Mm -hmm. well the the kids were rambunctious the dog was rambunctious and they yes they went very well together and i have seen them in many homes like a lot of the dogs the dachshunds that i see in practice are dachshunds in families and they do very well So it was just, it was an interesting caution that I read in a number of websites. So it wasn't just like one source was making that common. It is something that they were kind of commenting on across the board. And also be aware that if you get a dachshund, they tend to be very vocal. And so if you are in a place where it's going to be an issue that you have a dog barking, it's something to really think about with this breed because they will tend to be very chatty and share their opinions vocally. Their life expectancy can be anywhere from 12 to 16 years. So they Mm -hmm. are a breed that can live to be a good age. They come in two sizes. So there's the standard size Dachshund and then there's the mini Dachshund. You can get that variation in size depending on what you're looking for. So there's three coat types that you can see. So most people are probably familiar with the smooth coat. I think this is the one that we see the most. It's the short haired, very smooth. They often are kind of black and tan. Some of them can have a marbling kind of color. So there's a number of different colors that we can see. I've seen a very, almost a bright red. Yes, they, there are some that are more of like a red brown color. So there's a number of color coats that you can get. They tend to be ranges of brown to black, and then you can get the the marbling, uh, the merle color that you can get, Mm. which is kind of a a lighter one. So yeah, there's a wire coat, which is more like a terrier type coat. Uh, So it's kind of a medium length and the colors tend are very similar. So you can get the same kind of colors across the coat types. And then there is a long haired dachshund. And so these guys have more of a longer coat, but it's a softer coat than the wire haired guys there's basically six varieties that you can get because you can get them in the mini and the standard and then both mini and standard have the three different coat types okay good they were first imported into the u.s in 1870 and their primary function was hunting rabbits again going into those burrows for hunting purposes that's kind of our overview of what they look like their personality and a bit about their history I can see rabbits, by the way. That makes much more sense to me than badgers. Badgers, hard getting my head around that one, but the rabbits I can see. My guess is it probably, and I, I don't have fact to back this up, but just thinking logically, my guess would be it was more the standard size daxies that were mm. going in after the badgers because I feel like a mini would just get the snot beaten out of it. 
by a badger. So I'm that that would be my guess. That would be my guess as well. Yeah. yeah. And then the minis I could see a little bit more in the in the rabbit. Although I think with most axes I've met, I can't see them hunting and fighting anything wild. But <laughs> so part of part of the reason that we chose to talk about doxies today dachshunds is we're talking with Dr. Finnan about neurology. Neurologists meet a lot of dachshunds and the primary reason for that is that dachshunds, one of their big predispositions uh, to health issues is called intervertebral disc disease. And it is something that people experience as well, but with dachshunds, because they have such a long back in comparison to their legs, it does put a lot of extra strain on their spine, it just mm-hmm. their entire conformation. And so that does put them at, at risk for that. And so anyone out there who's not familiar with what a disc is, your spine is made up of a series of bones called your vertebrae. And your spinal cord, which is all your nerves, run up and down through a canal in your vertebrae. And you have these cartilage cushions in between each of those vertebrae along your spine called a disc. And these are over time, just wear and tear of life can put pressure on different spots of these discs. And you can have these discs kind of start to break down and they can either bulge and push into the spinal cord and put pressure on the spinal cord causing Symptoms varying from just back pain to paralysis and a lot of neurologic deficits. You can also have these, there's almost like a pulp inside these discs. And if they have a more traumatic injury that's very forceful, you can actually have the external layer kind of pop and this pulp kind of gets blasted into the spinal cord. It's kind of like having shrapnel go into your spinal cord and it can cause a lot of inflammation. Oftentimes, especially if there's more significant neurologic deficits like paralysis or some of them, depending on where it is, they can lose their bowel function or their bladder function. Oftentimes, the correction for this is surgery. In comparison to people, so oftentimes we find when clients are having a disease explained that they have some familiarity within people, uh, sometimes it can it can be very differing outcomes. So in in people, back surgeries don't always go as well. There can be a lot more complications. We see a lot of our canine patients that have to have back surgeries doing really well afterwards. Oh, good. Uh, It depends on the severity and the duration of time. Obviously, the sooner we can get into surgery and deal with it, the less damage is going to be done to the spinal cord. And then that makes the prognosis for full recovery a lot better. But even the guys who've had some pretty severe neurologic deficits will do quite well after surgery, even if there is some persisting slight deficits. So the surgery can be quite successful. And Mm. in comparison to what people experience, we see fewer side effects and fewer complications. That is something that I like to make sure people are very aware of because a lot of people have kind of their own experiences with what they've had or family members or friends have had, and it can make them a little worried that the dog's not going to have a good outcome. So these little dachshunds are a breed that Dr. Finnan sees a fair bit. They can also have issues with epilepsy and some of the other eye issues we've talked about in other breeds. They can be present in dachshunds as well. But overall, these guys can be a very entertaining because they just have so much personality. 
entertaining, enjoyable, fun breed uh, mm. to to have as a pet. The only bit of a problem is that in some they're they're like the stretch limousines of the dog world low to the ground and not a lot of yep. support in the middle and it's hard in their spines yep, yep. yes yes yep. but when we do things like you know keeping them really fit and well exercised keeping their body weight down so a dachshund that's overweight is going to be a lot more likely to have problems with their back than a dachshund that's kept nice and lean and well muscled so making sure that they're getting lots of exercise and we make adjustments to things like we don't recommend that these guys do a whole lot of like Superman jumps off of things, putting steps or ramps up beds and couches and things like that, oh, yeah. just to reduce yeah. that. Anytime that a dog, a small dog in particular is jumping down off of something, there is a lot of compression that happens in their spinal cord. And those are tend to be the times when injuries will happen. Impact strain. Lovely dogs. Are there many breeders in the province? There are quite a few. Yeah. So um, we've talked before that the Canadian Kennel Club is a good resource Absolutely. to find reputable breeders. And so if you are interested, the, the CKC website does have a lot of information about breeders in different areas of Ontario. Okay. Well, thanks for that. The bright, energetic, opinionated dachshund. Lovely dogs. Yes. And thank you so much, Dr. Rennick. That's the Urban Zoo for this week. We will be back Wednesdays at 1 p.m. next week. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at saga960am.ca slash podcasts and on Facebook at The Urban Zoo with Bill McBain and Dr. Tiffany Rennick. And we would love to hear from you. So drop us a line at The Urban Zoo at saga960am.ca. That's The Urban Zoo at saga960am.ca. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, on behalf of myself, Bill McBain, Dr. Tiffany Rennick, and VCA Canada, stay safe, have a great week, and we will meet you next week on The Urban Zoo. And that he knows he'll get So I love my dog As much as I love you But you make a fame My dog will always come through no radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca.